and welcome to Minute 44 of Season 3 of Over a Minute, the daily podcast, where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action movie, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Travis Bow of the Real Comics Heroes podcast. Welcome hey, back, hey. Travis. Thanks for having me back. Always a pleasure, always a pleasure. Just uh, keep the Maydays, you know, to, to, to one syllable at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so minute 44 begins with holly stating the obvious and ends with mclean giving a report on channel nine so yesterday we ended things with uh carl getting a little bit uh frustrated to say the least about the fact that his brother just turned up dead and he wanted to yeah scour the entire building and find John McClain and get, destroy him. And things ended with uh, Holly and Ellis looking on from from the outside room into her office, basically, to, to watching the two of them. And, you know, she she basically says to basically um, Ellis says to her beforehand, uh, you know, uh, what do you think? And her response is, something's wrong. You know, she's she stating the obvious for sure. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think Ellis is a little too close to her for comfort, especially given the <laughs> fact that, that he, he was um, uh, breaking a few few laws at the beginning of, the, of this movie. Sure. You know, he, he's, he seems too much like a predator. You know, he's, he's definitely... Uh, He's definitely done some inappropriate things that one should not do in the workplace. For sure, yeah. You know, he he, he could easily be sued for sexual harassment here. No question oh, yeah. about that. And especially now also, he's just getting a little too close. And then the two of them have a little bit of a conversation here. And so she says to him, something's wrong. And he goes, cops? And he, she answers, John. And he <laughs> goes, John? Oh, Christ. He could fuck this whole thing up. What does he think he's doing? His job. His job is 3,000 miles away. Without him, we still have a chance. We might be able to get out of here. Tell that to Takagi. So it's it's a nice little conversation between the two of them. You know, the, the debate between them, you know, shows, first of all, I, I think it's very important because it shows that Holly is completely on John's side here. Right. You know, that she trusts her husband. You know, we we had the, earlier in the week, we had the fact that it said in, in the script, you know, that she got his sense of humor. She saw his sense of humor in the fact right. that Tony was sitting there in the thing. So, I mean, that's something that was never really uh, acted upon in, in the, the, the final cut anyway. But this is a good way to show that she trusts her husband and that sure. she thinks that, that he is doing the right thing. And that if he were to give himself up, he would be in big trouble. You know, which is something that Ellis doesn't understand. You know, I guess I guess being a cop's wife for for eleven years helps. Mm. You know. Yeah. No, I like that she he has her support throughout this. Yes. Yeah. yeah then no, that is important. I think. Yeah. So that, few people do. So. Yeah, it's something that always disappointed me that in the you know the third, fourth, and fifth movies of the series, you know, she's she's not there anymore. They, they, you know, they yeah. get into a fight and whatever. I, I, I think that was just extraneous. I don't think they really needed it. Right. But, uh, you know, at least for the first two movies, she's, she's there by his side, mm. which, uh, which works. So 
I mean, one of the things that Ellis says here is bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What do you know about the word bullshit? <laughs> um, I love surprising you, Travis. You, yeah. you know what to expect with me, and and I still am able to surprise you. Well, it, it's I, it, these tangents are funny. That that this is what you you know decided to do a little history lesson on. Um, I don't know what the the true etymology of of bullshit is. No, I'd I'd love to find out though. Okay, and you shall, along with everyone else. <laughs> so it's sometimes referred to as bullshit or bullcrap. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes people will shorten it and just say bull, or sometimes they'll say BS. And in England, uh, people will say bollocks, mm. which is pretty much the the same. Uh, oh, okay. Same same phrase. It <laughs> essentially means nonsense, especially as a rebuke in response to communication or actions viewed as deceptive, misleading, disingenuous, unfair, or false. Okay. It uh, is usually used as an interjection, but it can be used in numerous parts of speech and it can carry a wide variety of meanings. You know, sometimes a person who excels at communicating nonsense will yeah. be referred to as a bullshit artist instead of calling them a liar, Yeah, you know, which is a simpler way of, of doing it. Okay, it's usually used in a depreciatory sense. Okay, for instance, if you're referring to the fact that, uh, you know, someone's a liar, so a liar tells untruth, but a bullshit aims to convey a certain impression of themselves without being concerned about whether anything at all is true, because it, it may be. Yeah. You're, you're never quite sure if the person's telling the truth or not when you're talking about it. Okay. Um, if someone screams out the term bull as Ellis did earlier in, in this, you know, in the show. So it's a measure of dissatisfaction with something or somebody. And it doesn't necessarily say whether the person believes that they're telling the truth or not. Right. You know, it's not a comment on the truth. It's just outracing. Now, um, I'm going to split this up into two different sections. Where do you think the term bull came from? And then at what time did people start using the term bull? And when did it change to being bullshit? Hmm. I don't, um, no, I don't know. I just total guess. I'd say probably bull probably goes back to, I guess, the 1700s, 18, I don't know, 1700s. Okay, you're very close with that. It's, it comes back, for, it goes from the uh, 17th century. Okay. So it's a 1600s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, that's that's pretty good. And when do you think bull became started being used? It feels more of a slightly more of a Western, you know, I'd say more in the 1800s, early 1800s. Okay, well, according to the research that I did, it it uh, it was starting to be used during World War Two, World War oh, One, wow. uh, around 1915. And it uh, became a very prevalent part of British and American and slang. To mean the it be- uh, nonsense, basically. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. To mean nonsense. Interesting. Yeah. You know, and uh, how, they, how they arrive at this word, you know, this animal excrement equals yes. nonsense. Why isn't it horseshit? Which horseshit <laughs> does also. I mean, you can kind of use them interchangeably. So. Correct. I was I was just about to say that you 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 jumped the gun on that uh, one, but that's fine. So um, the during World War II, it became even more popular mm. to, to use that 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 uh, that phrase. the The word "bull" itself is probably from a French word called "bull," 
which means fraud or deceit. Okay. Okay, which then would make more sense yeah. as to why they would they would use it. I don't know why the <laughs> fits right. that. I'm not really sure about that one. Okay, but the term <laughs> is a near synonym. Okay, and there are some places, especially in Australia, where they call it bull dust. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Instead, yeah. Okay, so there is a TV show that is known as Penn and Teller. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and that is a show that debunks many common beliefs and often criticizes specific people's comments. So someone once asked Penn Jillette why they actually chose the name, and he said because you can actually get sued for saying someone's a liar, but you can't get sued if you tell if you say they're just talking. Oh, nice. Yeah, there, there's also a um, I, I believe there's there's a game show now called okay. uh, isn't there? With Howie Mandel, I, sure. I believe where you know where the idea is, is that the, the contestants have to to okay. make up a story as to what the truth is of some okay. answer or something. We used to play or, a card game in so. uh, in yes. study hall mm-hmm. when I was in high school. You know, you I'm trying to remember how it's played. Yes, but... two aces, two aces, three twos, four fours. Yes. Yes. You know, everyone, you you go in order. And you put down the yeah. the cards, and if you don't, if you believe that the person is lying, then you right. say bullshit, and then they have to reveal the cards. And you know, if they were telling you the truth that they really put down that number of cards, yeah. you have to take the pile. And if if they they were lying, then they have to take the whole pile. And obviously, the the object is right. to get rid of all your cards. That was yeah, fun game. So yeah, yeah, it was a fun game. That's true. Um, the, what what movie? There was a, there was a movie where there was like a family playing it. I'm trying to remember what it was. Hmm. And I remember that you had certain people yeah. screaming bullshit that you wouldn't expect them to say. Yeah, it was like a family, you know, not a family not comedy, but it was like a family. Yeah, I can picture it, but I can't think of what movie that was. It was it was How okay. to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. There you How go. Lose a guy. Huh. All right. Yeah. How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days was with uh, Matthew McConaughey and um, Kate Hudson. Uh, yeah. what's her name? Kate Hudson. And and I think I think the father was was wasn't it uh, the the guy the guy from the '70s show Red Foreman? Was it? Or I mean, uh... I I can't remember the guy's name either right now. No, I don't think it was. It wasn't him. It was it was someone else playing it. But uh, yeah, it was it was a fun scene. You know, I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll link to it so that people can see the the, the scene. Yeah. It's, a, it's a fun scene of seeing the two the scene that them play that you know. Getting, getting, yeah. getting familiar with the family. <laughs> not something, not a way that you would expect people in <laughs> right. general to, to 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 do that, but it still works. The idea that that Ellis says his job's <laughs> three thousand miles away, so obviously yeah. he's just rounding off because you know it's it's really two thousand seven hundred eighty nine miles between uh, L.A. to to New York, which with the internet is a very simple thing to find out. Um, how how long do you think it would take to drive at a normal pace of sixty sixty five, whatever? Um, what would be your guess? I think you could. Right. If you right. drive it straight um, without stopping, I'd say you could do it in five to six days. Say six days. You can do it in. You can do it apparently okay. in forty one hours. Sure, sure. If you were to go straight, you know. Most most people don't do that. And how long do you think the flight um, is? It's probably a three hour flight. 
Is it? Okay. It's a five-hour flight. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. again, this is all rounding off because it's different, you know, it's not all specifically uh, whatever. And then we, the shot changes and we get to see John climbing up three flights of stairs. You know, like, what's the point of showing him go up three flights? Is that to tell us that the elevator doesn't go that close to, to the... That would make sense. You know, yeah, you wouldn't have to, an elevator go that high up. Um, and maybe just to show that there is this area, because this is going to be a scene of a, a fight scene later. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I don't know. What, what's really funny to me is he makes yeah. a lot of noise he as he's running up those stairs. You know, you think he's trying to, he would try to be a little bit more, a little quieter mm. with what he's doing here. Not really sure. But then he, he gets up and we, we get we get a great, panning shot of the 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 nighttime yeah. la skyline you know it's, it's it's just it's amazing to look at i mean i don't recognize anything there i'm not an la person anyway i'm i wonder i'm, I'm assuming people from la would recognize some things some sure. landmarks here or there um if it was a daytime shot um, i'm sure it'd be easier to <laughs> pick out things yeah oh for sure for sure for sure and then it, what's really funny is, is McLean is standing there, and after a few seconds, he like jerks to the side, you know, as if he maybe thinks he's yeah. and like points his gun somewhere. Maybe he thinks he's heard something, but we're we're not really sure what startled him. Could have just been a bird. Maybe clicked in that he <laughs> hasn't secured this area. He doesn't know that there's not a sentry up here. You know, it's like it suddenly remember he remembers right. what the threat is. Right, could be, it could be. And then uh, we see two flashing lights that are nearby. On the on the, the left hand side, we see like a strobe light that's on top of the building, and then on the right hand side, we see like a red light flashing. Okay. So, what do you think those those lights are for? Um, just air traffic, you know, signaling that there's buildings this high up for you know nighttime uh, flights not getting not keeping buildings away essentially or keeping. Uh, planes and helicopters away. Um, I'm sure there's a okay. significance to the, the flashing red or the or the white. I don't, I'm not sure, but right. Okay. Well, that's what I'm yeah. here for to tell you about this thing. So, um, when do you think the strobe light was uh, invented? I'm gonna. A strobe light is basically a light that's flashing, yeah. you know, every few seconds. Hmm. Be super handy with like commercial shipping and and air travel i'll go 1920 1931 yeah. um by harold eugene doc Edger, edgerson he uh he was using a flashing lamp mm. to try to make an improved stroboscope <laughs> while he was trying to study uh moving objects Okay, which uh, eventually resulted in being able to to take really amazing photographs of objects that are moving really yeah. fast, like a bullet. Hmm. You know, while 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 they're doing that. Okay, in the 1960s, it became very popular in the uh, in in the club scene. You know that they would use strobe lights, and it was. Do, do you know why it was popular in the 60s? 60s and 70s. I would assume with uh, drug culture, just. Yes, yeah. it would enhance the effects of LSD. Mm, yeah, so that 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 makes sense. Now there is also the uh, danger that that sometimes strobe lights can trigger seizures sure. in uh, people who have photosensitive epilepsy. Yeah. 
So that, that's a, a little bit of a uh, problem there. So what you have also is, is aviation obstruction lighting. Okay, that, that's the idea of, of having, you know, there are laws as to what type of lights you need to have on certain sure. buildings of a certain height because of, of flights. Okay, so it's used to enhance the vis visibility of structures or fixed objects, which may conflict with the safe navigation of aircraft. Obstruction lighting is commonly installed on towers, buildings, and even fences located in areas where aircraft may be operating in low altitudes. Okay, these lighting systems commonly employ one or more high-intensity strobe or LED devices, which can be seen by pilots from many miles away. Okay, and um, the, they use red lamps are there to for, that are constantly illuminated or that are turning on and off slowly in a cycle every few seconds in order to alert pilots that there is some sort of uh, object in front yeah. of them. Okay, and the white ones are usually white xenon flash lamps, which are used in order to uh, also make sure that the, the pilot can actually see what's going on. So yeah, I, I, makes I thought- Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Safety while flying. I always misread the strobe lights as uh, later we see uh, Al's perspective when he looks up at the building and then they're I always misread what he sees as well, what I thought he was seeing as machine gun fire is probably the strobe lights. Mm. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see uh, yeah. in the next few weeks how that uh, plays out. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for that one. Yeah. And, you know, John looks around to make sure that everything is clear, and then he picks up the CB and puts it to his, you know, puts it to his mouth and says, Mayday, Mayday, anyone copying? Channel 9, terrorists have seized the Nakatomi building and are holding at least 30 people hostage. I repeat, unknown number of terrorists, six or more, armed with automatic weapons at Nakatomi Plaza. Okay, so as he's doing this, um... You know, we, we see a shot inside of Holly's office. You know, there are two pens on the, the side there. We see a tape dispenser. There is a picture of John Jr., which is what actually tells us that that is, once again, Holly's, uh, you know, Holly's desk. The And, and I love the way they do this because we, we see a walkie-talkie just, like, sitting on the desk. Yeah. You know, it isn't that Hans is holding it or, or, or Carl or anything like that. The idea here is, is that there is a walkie-talkie that is just speaking. And <laughs> so we get to see, you know, they're they're telling us that they're able to hear everything that John is saying at this point. You know, which is really, really, really cool. Um, so one of the things that he says is Mayday, right? Right. So uh, what what do you know about the phrase Mayday? I know I've heard the the origin of the phrase before, but I can't remember where that specific, you know, those two words. I don't remember what what is significant about the, them. Right. Okay. So mayday is an emergency procedure word used internationally as a distress signal in voice procedure radio communications. All right. Now, what's interesting is that, so it's it's used to signal some sort of life-threatening emergency, primarily by aviators or, or mariners. But in some countries, local organizations such as firefighters, police forces, and transportation organizations also use it, right? 
you're supposed to say it three times in a mm-hmm. row, like Beetlejuice, right? Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, yeah. Beetlejuice, Mayday, 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 uh, during the initial emergency declaration to prevent it being mistaken for some similar sounding phrase under noisy conditions, and also to distinguish an actual Mayday call from a message about a Mayday call. Huh. Okay. So apparently John doesn't do that right here because he only says Mayday twice. Okay. Yeah. You know, maybe that's why, you know, tomorrow they're going to want to arrest him. Right. Because he's not saying Mayday properly. Um, When do you think they started using the word Mayday as a distress call? Um, I would guess. I mean, I I don't know. I'm I'm not certain when like radios like this, you know, started being used. Um, But I'm, I'm guessing in the 19, I don't know if it'd be around for world war, world war one, but so I'll say 1930. Okay. It was 1920s. You were very close with that one Uh, by a man named Frederick Stanley Mockford, who was uh, the officer in charge of radio at Croydon airport in England. Okay, now what's really interesting, you mentioned earlier that you don't know where they got the term Mayday from, right? So he actually proposed the term because it was very similar to a French word, uh, Mayday, M-A-I-D-E-S, B-E-Z, excuse me, which means help me. Okay. All right. And so therefore he decided to Anglicanize it and just say Mayday instead. Now, they did a lot of tests to see if the term works. And up until then, they were using Morse code, sure. in which the signal then was SOS. Um, but when dealing with voice communication, SOS uh, was less effective. So they were looking for some new way of saying it. So they decided that they're going to go with uh, Mayday instead. Huh. Okay. Now, what they say here also is that making a false distress call is a criminal offense in many countries, punishable by a fine, restitution, and possible imprisonment. Hmm. So, uh, who knows? Maybe that'll come up sometime later huh. this week. Right. Maybe. Maybe. You never know. <laughs> now, what's funny is is that he says here that there are 30 hostages. Okay? So, first of all, I would think that there are more than 30 people working in the Nakatomi building that were at this Christmas party. You know, I never counted how many people were sure. actually in the party, but yeah. you think that there are more than thirty. I don't know. Yeah. You know, obviously, you never counted. Being a this is an American office of a Japanese company. Maybe you know, it's not the. This isn't the main part of the company, I guess. So this is just a small. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Okay, and also then he says uh, terrorists six or more. Right. So, again, as we counted earlier this week, he knows of at least eight. Yeah. But he only counted six on his arm. So, okay, that's, uh, you know, that's why he's he's saying there's only six. Right. But in a little while, in a few weeks, he's actually going to say that he knows that there are at least 12. And yeah. he doesn't really see more of them by then. But we'll, <laughs> we'll keep an eye out for that. <laughs> and that's pretty much how this uh, minute ends, midway through John's uh, report, you know, to – Channel 9 Mayday. So, do you have anything else you want to say about this minute before we get into the script? Um, no, not really. Um, I did notice that, like, going back to the Ellis, like, seeing him, like, 
Hart Bachner is an actor that I only know from this, and uh, I know that he does a voice in Batman: Mask of the Phantasm. But other than that, like I don't, never really saw that. Like I, I, I guess I've seen him in Supergirl. I didn't know that, you know. Till looking at the list of what he's in, I've probably seen a couple other things, but nothing I could, you know, identify. But right, just kind of one of right. those I guys, was, I guess. I think he was on TV, wasn't he? Like in on some TV show, like Hotel or something like that, for many years. I don't know. If I remember correctly. I, I, I mean, I, I don't really know him that much from from movies either. I mean, okay. he was he was in the in 1979, the the movie Breaking Away. He was in that one also. Okay. Uh, huh. He played he played the, like the mean guy. Sure, I could see that. Yeah. You know, like the, uh, um, the you know the 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 rich uh, right the rich guy making fun of them that you know, type of thing. Yeah. Um. Actually, no, I was wrong. He wasn't in uh, Hotel. He he was in Warren Remembrance. He took over for Jan Michael Vincent uh, in the role of Byron Henry in Warren mm-hmm. Remembrance, which was the sequel to The Winds of War. Okay, but uh, yeah, no, he doesn't really have uh, a, a, a he has a nice career, but not a very prolific one. Let's put it that way. Yeah, but we'll always remember him as Ellis. What can you do? Yeah, <laughs> right. So the there are only a few small discrepancies in this minute. Also, during the conversation between Holly and Ellis, so one of the, he he refers to the police as police instead of cops. Again, doesn't really make a difference. And then one of the things he says to uh, Holly says, "How about his job? That he's doing his job." So he says, "His job is three thousand miles away. Without him, they might let us go. At least we have a chance." And then Holly responds, "Tell that to Mister Takagi." <laughs> so, you know, first of all, the fact that 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 Ellis in the script believes that if John wasn't messing things up, they would let them go. Mm. You know, he's he's still pretty high, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds yeah, he, me of uh something that when when he said I think it might be after he says bullshit he says that he's gonna mess this up for us. That's right. Or no, he says he's gonna he's gonna fuck, fuck this up. Yeah. Fuck this whole thing up. That that one little line like makes me it almost sounds like he could be an inside man. Ooh. You know, like in that I, I knew you were going there when you started saying it. Yeah, yeah but that, yeah, and it's hmm. interesting that this movie doesn't have an inside man element. Um, I don't know if that'd be, you know, if it's better or worse. I don't, I don't know, but I just just him the way he says that it does make you wonder for a second. Like, is he does he know more than he's than he should or? But well, I definitely agree with you on that. It would have made things very interesting if you had an inside guy. But I like the way that. Uh, Ellis, at least, is not the inside, the inside guy yeah. because he his character has a great uh, I, I guess you could sort of say arc yeah, right, later on right. with the type of things that he does. Yeah. And had he been part of them, so well again, if he would have been part of them, he would have given away the fact that John was Holly's husband. Yeah. So yeah, but uh, yeah, that, that, that that's an interesting idea. And I also like the fact that Holly calls him Mister Takagi. As opposed to saying "tada Takagi," yeah, you know it's it's more formal when she says the Mister, but if she just says it in the way then in the final, you know, in the in the the final cut, yeah, it it works well by her saying "tada Takagi," meaning that okay, she's very close to Takagi. Yeah, you know, they have a a closer relationship. 
So I, I think that works out well. Yeah, she definitely respects him. Yeah, for sure. All right, so every Thursday we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track Holiday Edition, where once again, my guest or myself will give a little story anecdote about some adventure or misadventure that happened to one of us uh, at some point in our lives over some sort of holiday. So Travis, you got another story for us? Yeah, I do. I have another little Christmas story. Again, <laughs> my parents playing mean tricks on me. Um, I was would have been the, the 1995 Christmas, and all I wanted was Batman Forever on VHS. And Christmas morning came around. I got Batman Forever, you know, a couple action figures. I got a, I had two posters for my room. And I think some uh, like school like folders, you know, just various other Batman Forever merchandise. No movie, so I was I, I held it together like I didn't you know throw a fit, I didn't complain. But I mean I was you know a little heartbroken that I didn't get the one thing that that I really wanted. I got th- things adjacent you know to the movie, but um, and we go over to some friend's house for our like you know friend Christmas get together that night and that that family had gotten it for me. Um, so I think my, my, Oh, I thought you were going to say they got it for their kid oh, no. and that would have really pissed you off. Right. Um, <laughs> no, they got it for me. I think because my parents knew that if, if we got it for him Christmas morning, he would just want to stay home and watch, you know, watch the movie and not, uh, not anything else okay. that day. So they strategically, I think, uh, orchestrated this uh this you know real real mean prank that I, I frankly have never forgiven them for so you still haven't <laughs> forgiven them after uh, no way man you know thir- uh was it 20 25 years uh, that came out in 1995 so 27 yeah, years no no all right that's cruel and well let's put it this way if you can if you can forgive them for leaving you on a train that gets into an accident yeah. you know i think you're you're good with right. Yeah. <laughs> Just making references to stories that Travis told That's last right. season. So if you haven't listened, you can go back and listen to his minutes. Yeah. He had minutes uh, 81 through 85 of uh, Plainstrom's Automobiles where we, we had some great discussions. Train accident survivor right here. Yes. Yes. With help from, from someone you wouldn't expect. That's right. <laughs> and if you go to the go to the Facebook, you can even see a copy of an article that talks yeah. about it. <laughs> All right. Do you want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with you? Sure. Check out uh, Real Comic Heroes. Uh, it's real, yeah, Real Comic Heroes on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, yeah, check out that show if you like comic book movies. Excellent. And finding me once again is quite simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. And you can find me on my website, MovieRobMinute.com. So, Travis, you, you feel like coming back again? I do. And possibly getting arrested <laughs> in order to, you know, talk about another day about Die Hard? Absolutely, I do. All right. Excellent. So, we'll be back tomorrow. And until then, yippee ki yippee ki